Welcome to Create New Futures, a show about thought-provoking ideas and practices you can use to create and shape your future in life and in business. Join Aviv Shahar, author and innovation strategy consultant, as he shares his proven strategies that have helped clients create breakthrough results. Aviv has guided executives at Fortune 100 companies, and now he wants to help you. Let's talk about the first responsibility of a leader. This is Aviv with a new episode of Create New Futures. And today I'm focusing on the fallacy of the Google age. And why as leaders, mentors, and parents, we all must reflect on the Google fallacy and the conundrum it creates critically. As a leader, your first responsibility is to lead yourself. You begin with how you develop your thought process and continue with how you map your learning and your actions. You cannot afford to outsource your self-leadership or to abandon your intuition and judgment. And you cannot afford to contract out the diligent work of your own reflective inquiry and development. My call to action here today is to invite you to practice mindfulness as a leader and as a parent, to recognize the fallacy of the Google age and to reflect on the learning and knowledge that you will encourage and promote. Here is a question for you. How many Google searches do you perform on a regular day? Well, during one recent workday, I decided to answer my own question. So I kept count. At the end of the day, I discovered that I had conducted 24 Google searches. I love Google. How can you not love what Google enables us to do? Here, though, is the point we make today. Every good development invariably creates unintended consequences. And the fallacy of the Google age is one of those consequences. Before we put the laser on this challenge, let me make the broader statement. Every age brings its technological innovation and progress. Every wave of innovation creates new possibilities and capabilities, which in turn give rise to mistaken beliefs. For instance, the innovation of antibiotics initially catalyzed the belief that we were about to eradicate all diseases. The fantastic discovery of the DNA promoted a deterministic DNA-centric mental model that posited that people are defined by their DNA. This belief is still prevalent, even though epigeneticists subsequently showed that what gets expressed from our DNA potential is determined by the collective impact of the environment, formative experiences, and behavioral and lifestyle choices. Furthermore, the deterministic DNA-centric belief fails to recognize the broader significance of the psychological and spiritual dimensions of life, such as their power and impact on our health, well-being, and on our capacity to respond to opportunities. When we retrace and reflect on the human progress as a species, sometimes we appear to be following the allegorical story 
of the man next to a streetlight, searching for the keys he had lost. When asked if he felt he dropped the keys right there, next to the streetlight, he replied, I'm not sure when or where I lost my keys. Perhaps it was down the street, or even on a different street. But it is easier and more convenient to search the area illuminated by the streetlight. As a species, we are a bit like that man. We develop antibiotics and think they will solve all our health issues. We discover DNA and rush to believe we've unlocked the complete secret to life and all its mysteries. Clearly, both discoveries represent important developments, and yet neither one of them can answer all the questions and unresolved mysteries or address all of humanity's health problems. These examples provide a great segue to reflecting on the Google fallacy, which I should perhaps better name the fallacy of the Google age. To better appreciate this particular misunderstanding, let's look at Google's mission. Google was born back in the late 90s, when many people believed that all of the world's knowledge was going to be available on the web. Google's founders recognized this unique opportunity to organize that knowledge and make it widely accessible. Google's mission statement was and still is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. The mission statement was coupled with the company's vision statement to provide access to the world's information in one click. These are excellent mission and vision statements because of their clarity. Indeed, this mission and vision guided Google's business effectively to focus on its search engine service because they are concrete and clear. More broadly, Google's mission has been viewed and widely represented in the idea of organizing all the world's knowledge, diluting a little in our minds the distinction we must make between information and knowledge. The meme of organizing all the world's knowledge was initially developed in the early 20th century by Paul-Marie Otlet, a Belgian entrepreneur considered one of the fathers of information science. He wrote numerous essays and two books about how to collect and organize the world's knowledge. Google was in the right place at the right time to bring this idea to life. Today, we are all the beneficiaries of Google's service. Indeed, most of the world's information and knowledge is a click away. So where is the problem? What then is the Google fallacy? The fallacy of the Google age is the belief that people are able to access every level of knowledge on any topic or question immediately. Why is this a fallacy? What's left out of the equation? What forms of knowledge not captured by the search engine's algorithms are endangered by this mindset propagated by Google's search prowess? My premise is the demental model enabled by Google, which is that everything you want to know is just a click away, is costing people some of the defining markers of our humanness. It allows us to get by superficially, it makes us lazy, and it facilitates the loss of reflection and concentration power. We are at risk of abandoning the joys of inner discovery of striving to resolve unresolved mysteries, 
And yes, we are at risk of making mediocrity the new norm. When we relinquish the power of the depth of development knowledge acquired by persistent struggle and personal application, we lose some of our humanness. Are we raising new generations of digital natives who discover Wikipedia and Google long before they experience the wonders of the outdoors or learn to climb a tree, swim, or ride a bike? Here are five dimensions and buckets of knowledge that cannot be recreated or explained fully by Google or Wikipedia or any other app. Each of these buckets must be accessed by other means and from other sources. Bucket 1. Experiential knowledge. Can you remember your first outdoor adventure? Can you remember running in the open fields, climbing trees, hiking up a mountain to reach an alpine lake, scuba diving to discover the beauty of coral reefs? Can you recall these experiences and the unbridled joy of engaging the elements? In this case, the knowledge source is letting nature teach your body what you can and cannot do. There is much more in the experiential knowledge category, such as discovering the versatile capabilities of your hands to dismantle and reassemble almost anything, and to draw, to knit, to cook, and to fix what's broken. Could it be the disfallacy we are bringing into focus is putting the adventurous discovery inherent in these activities at risk of disappearing or dramatically weakening? These are questions to reflect on as leaders, as mentors and teachers, and as parents. Consider this. What are the chances of young people today to explore romantic love before they have been cheated out of its natural discovery by the misleading images propagated through all forms of media that are more likely than not to leave most people feeling inadequate? The contents of the experiential knowledge bucket are clearly being threatened by the intensity of this immersive exposure. I'm obviously not blaming Google or the media at large with all the elements of society and how superficial we have become. I'm simply observing what the case is so we can choose as leaders and parents to be alert. Bucket 2. Character learning and knowledge. My most formative character learning and knowledge at the age of 11 was acquired during the three years I got up every morning at 5 a.m. for my long-distance running practice before school started. This regular and consistent practice taught me about determination, commitment, focus, overcoming pain, and the rewards of hard work, and it enabled me to win the Israeli long-distance cross-country running championship at age 14. This kind of knowledge cannot be imparted through Wikipedia or Google because it is an interior character knowledge. You have to discover and fashion this formation on the inside and find out what commitment and determination feel like to let the struggle steal your mind and instruct your soul. Bucket 3. Concentrated focus and contemplative discovery. Important breakthroughs in science and in the arts were made possible by people who isolated themselves with a question. 
and were able to mount tremendous focus and concentration on finding its answer. Are we losing this focused concentration with the never-ending noise of devices and digital alerts designed to trigger, to hack, and to hook our brains with dopamine reactions? Discovery through contemplative inquiry always has been central to the human experience. Take it away and you remove more than half of our arts. These natural capacities and processes are at risk too. Why concentrate and contemplate if you can Google search and get an answer in seconds? And whatever happened to the defiant search for originality? The search engine premise is that all you can ever experience and come up with is a derivative of what someone else already felt, experienced, and thought. Sure, it's obviously the case in 99% of the human experience. And yet, we are interested in the 1% originality and genius that you can bring forward, that 1% that is not searchable on the web. Bucket 4. Intuitive knowledge. Intuition is central to our humanness and to our inventive and innovative breakthroughs. This sense of being guided and the capacity to listen to your inner voice is at risk too. In fact, it is at risk twice. Here is why. First, when you know you can find answers to your questions readily through Google, there is an obvious temptation to cease listening to your intuition and abandon the courage to seek the instinctive and intuitive guidance inside. Second, our creative innovation is diminished by extraordinarily persuasive external pressures to fit into existing categories and behavioral and thinking templates. Socialization is a process that acts a bit like a dog in training. Though some might disagree with this analogy, if you look and compare the two situations, you will find that the protocols of dog training and the rewards for social success follow a similar principle. And that realization leaves us wondering, if we are the dogs, then who is the master? The price we pay for taking these risks is the loss of creative intuition. Bucket 5. Development Knowledge This category represents knowledge acquired and fashioned by self-application and by the development it fosters through the refinement of achieving mastery in a given area. Think about the knowledge acquired by Missy Franklin and by Katie Ladecki in the swimming pool. Think about the knowledge found by Itzhak Perlman through the violin, by Yo-Yo Ma with his cello, and by Renee Fleming with her voice. In the process of achieving mastery in one's craft, there are million insights into self-awareness, self-management, psychology, preparation, peak performance attunement, overcoming adversity and challenge, resilience and persistence, discordance and inner harmony. These experiences represent what we can call vertical knowledge, because this knowledge lives and is accessed at different depth. I am talking about knowledge that cannot be acquired by just clicking on a mouse. 
it is only achieved with 10,000 hours of practice, or at times, only after 50,000 hours of practice. Years ago, I attended a concert by Mastislav Rostropovich. As he played the Antonin Dvořák Cello Concerto, I sensed a distinct feeling in the concert hall, that his bow was moving effortlessly by itself. It was as though someone or something had taken over the playing, and Rostropovich was the vessel. This is not clickable knowledge. Such a rare form of knowledge and mastery, a pure musical communion manifesting through the cello, can sometimes be observed in pioneers and thought leaders in almost every field. For example, there is development knowledge acquired by a passionate teacher who shows up to class every day with the one thought, today I might inspire the student who will solve the climate or energy problems or cure cancer or any other major problem. Their love and dedication lead them to new and creative ways of teaching. Or consider the entrepreneur who starts a company and leads it from its inception to a thriving enterprise, needing to overcome million obstacles and to reinvent himself and herself along the way. I bet you too have rare development knowledge that you have fashioned in your professional journey. It extends beyond the information you carry in your head. What then is the other facet of the Google fallacy? The thought and the mental model that believe that all forms of knowledge can be accessed instantly. We would be wise to realize that certain forms of knowledge require preparation, to fashion the vessel, to be ready to receive and contain the knowledge. Here is a scenario for your reflection. When you go for a swim in the ocean, you put on a swimming gear. When you go snowboarding or when you climb Mount Rainier, you're not likely to show up with a swimming gear. Instead, you will use a snowboard for snowboarding and you will dress well and have the technical equipment you need to summit Mount Rainier. The same logic applies in the workplace when you inquire into the various fields of knowledge, especially non-academic fields such as leadership, sales, innovation, as well as inquiries related to parenting and relationships and more. Each of these conversations requires and would be tremendously enhanced by an appropriate set of tools, mental models, and frameworks. Of course, you can try to summit Mount Rainier with your swimming gear, but it is not certain you will come back alive. We call ourselves the sapient species. The question is, are we indeed becoming wiser, or are we dumbing down ourselves and losing some of our humanness? As leaders, mentors, and parents, we must explore daily these questions of how we can enable experiential knowledge. How do we facilitate character learning and knowledge? How do we inspire knowledge acquired through focused discovery? And how do we encourage intuition and development knowledge? That's the work of leadership in the effort of fostering and promoting a new, more enlightened and capable generations in the future. Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? 
You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning. And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.